Guys, good uh, Wednesday afternoon. Today is Wednesday. Thank you kindly for joining us. My name is Jerry Miller. Thank you kindly for watching our fine and fair talk show, The I Love Seville Show. It's an absolute joy to connect with you through this network and talk about a community that we passionately adore. Today's show represents or will represent what our original hope for the network um, five or six years ago. Five or six years ago, when I explained to the man that you'll see on screen, Judah Wickhauer, when I explained to other team members, including my wonderful better half, my wife, who is actively involved in the behind the scenes of this business, I said to Judah, I said to the team, I said to my wife, um, I want to take... $35,000 of, of reserve money, 35K, and I want to utilize that $35,000 to create a studio that is an epicenter for localized content that we would produce every day um, in downtown Charlottesville. Um, my wife, J-Dubs, the team, they said, what, what? You want to take 35 G's, contractors coming in to build this out, the equipment costs, and you want to shift our focus into a content production company and away potentially from the B2B business that we've been doing for over a decade that's crushing it? And I said, no, that's not what I want to do. I want to take the $35,000 and build a content production company and... I want to maintain the same clip of productivity with the B2B business, VMV Brands. I remember my wife and Judah looked at me and they said, you're effing nuts. And that's me putting it nicely. Almost six years ago, we took 35 grand and we built a content production company without skipping a beat with our advertising agency and without skipping a beat with our real estate portfolio. Today, this content production company is evolving into what we hoped it would be, which was the water cooler of content for Charlottesville. That water cooler um, does not have to originate the content or break the news. That water cooler does not need the ego stroke, ego stroke of being the first to report um, a candidate's campaign for office or a candidate's resignation or, or um, a small business owner that owes hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to creditors all over town. It's not about being the first, it's about being the aggregator or the epicenter, the water cooler, the proverbial water cooler, where you go to learn about what's going on. That's what we wanted to do. That's what I think this has become. Today's show is a microcosm of that. The lead of today's program is going to be um, commentary provided by Jehu Martin. Jehu Martin is Mr. Belmont. If Adam Frazier, the owner of The Local and the owner of Mockingbird, Adam Frazier lives on Graves Street, owns the building that is The Local Restaurant, owns the building that is Mockingbird Restaurant. If Adam Frazier is the king of Belmont, then Jehu Martin is the, the prince of Belmont. 
or the godfather of Belmont. Jehu's a little older than Adam, so why don't I say you're the godfather of Belmont? Jehu has got a background in nightclubs. Jehu is a champion of the local music scene. And Jehu is, when it's all said and done, a champion of this community and someone who is unafraid to hold folks accountable. He sent me a direct message this morning at 8.34 in the morning. And this direct message is probably a commentary that's 800 words long. I read every single one of these words, Jehu. And what you wrote made me sad and excited at the same time. I'm going to pass along what Jehu wrote and give you a glimpse of what Charlottesville downtown could have been if it was not for the Young and the Restless, As the World Turns, soap opera drama of the Mike Signer, Nakaya Walker, Dr. West Bellamy, and even a smidge, Michael Payne era. We'll talk about what could have been and what downtown Charlottesville could have looked like. And we'll compare and contrast it to what it looks like now. Commentary provided by a man, Jehu, how long have you lived in this community? If you could let me know, that would be amazing. By a man who's been in this community for a very long time. I'm going to talk SOL scores. We'll highlight the discussion from yesterday. And I'm going to ask you, a community of 300,000 people, how is Albemarle County getting beat like a drum by outer county public school systems from an SOL performance standpoint? We'll talk about that. My commentary from yesterday was cut off a little bit because Tuesdays at 1.45, I got a conference call with a VIP client, and I can't be late for it. Um, I also want to offer John Blair's take, another guy who, anytime he writes something on this network, I listen to learn. It's John Blair. If John Blair's got something to say, I, I get a notification on all these devices. A lot of the notifications are like, all right, I'll be in a good spot. Let me, let me not read this now. Let me wait till I'm in a good spot. When I see it's a notification from JB, I'm like, all right, what's this dude saying? That's how much I respect what he's got to say. He has um, perspective on what Stanton is doing extremely well from a business development standpoint. And he then asks questions, can Charlottesville duplicate the efforts of Stanton to drive de development within city limits? I'll relay his perspective to you, then offer my commentary on that perspective on this water cooler. I also have um, a very valued listener by the handle, the moniker of Anonymous. He's also known as Deep Throat. This dude's a smart MFer, very smart guy. He follows land use and zoning as closely as anyone. He works at the macro finance level, so he's got perspective um, with financial storylines and analyses that I often really hone in on. He also has um, a son who is in elementary school. I won't say where. I see him from time to time. Um, his son loves to play squash. Um, and I see him from time to time. And this, his oldest scion 
has an audiovisual and graphics skill set that is considerably um, exponentially ahead of his age. I believe he's 11 or 12 years old. Exponentially ahead of his age. His son put together a... How long is the video there, J-Dubs? About 90 seconds? Uh, something like that. About a 90-second video <laughs> that pokes fun at the Charlottesville Planning Commission, including members sitting at the Planning Commission table, barefooted, on camera, during a meeting that's recorded on the record, he has a music track sound bed that accompanies the 90 seconds of video. Here's the tough part. When you do um, live shows like this, I cannot play audio that I don't own the rights to or Facebook will take down my live broadcast. I can, however, play the video version, just the video, no sound. So Judah, when we play this video, it can have no sound or the social media platforms will take down the broadcast because we don't have ownership rights. But what I can do, what I can do is take the Vimeo link and share it in the comment sections of 15 Facebook pages, 15 Twitter accounts on LinkedIn, on YouTube, on iTunes, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Instagram, on TikTok, on Snapchat, on ilovesevil.com, and on a newsletter that reaches about a couple hundred thousand inboxes. Um, so get ready. And, and planning commissioners, my boy Lyle, my, 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 my boy Rory, we're going to poke a little fun at you, Roar, a little fun at you, Lyle, but we kid because we care. We kid because we care. Don't take offense. We kid because we care. Um, all right, first Jehu Martin's take. I got one other thing. If I don't timely respond to direct messages, it's not because I'm ignoring you. It's because I am getting between 50 and 100 direct messages a day across all the platforms. I will respond, I promise. It just might not be in real time. So Jehu sends me this message at 8.34 in this morning. He says, Jerry Miller, what you are doing is vital for this city. Please continue doing it. Then he says, Jerry Miller, how about we take a moment and visualize what downtown Charlottesville could have been, including the projects that were dropped or blocked by the city. Jehu Martin paints paints a picture of what downtown Charlottesville could have been if it were not for the Mike Signer era, the Nakia Walker era, the I mean Michael Payne's got some culpability with the Dewberry Hotel. Michael, you're my boy, you're coming on the talk show on Friday. But I, I gotta be straightforward. There's a little bit of culpability on your shoulders there, counselor. Uh, Councilman Payne. Um, that's fair to say. And I'm not speaking out of turn. Uh, so Jehu paints this picture, ladies and gentlemen. Jerry, imagine a world-class city in downtown Charlottesville. And this world-class city 
has a vibrant downtown corridor, a downtown corridor that has a Dewberry Hotel that is bringing thousands of people every year to downtown Charlottesville to stay in a boutique hotel of nationwide prestige. Imagine a downtown Charlottesville that is bookend by Keith Woodard's Water Street Project, a project where the farmer's market would have a brand new home, a home that includes shade from inclement weather and the dog days of summer, a farmer's market that was the linchpin of a Water Street development project that included mixed-use retail and housing right around the market because, hey, who doesn't want to walk downstairs, buy some fresh produce, some fresh meat, and then take it upstairs to enjoy? We all would want to do that. Jerry, imagine a downtown Charlottesville that included Oliver Kootner's micro-apartments, apartments that Oliver was going to man, model after micro-apartments that exist today in Manhattan. Micro-apartments targeted for young professionals, millennials, zillennials, Gen Zers, who wanted to live and breathe the downtown lifestyle. Jerry, imagine downtown Charlottesville with the late, great Gabe Silverman. Gabe Silverman at one time pitched to leadership in City Hall, a connector from downtown Charlottesville to Monticello that included, ladies and gentlemen, cable cars. Cable cars taking thousands of people every year from the downtown mall to Monticello for a tour and back. He says, Jerry, imagine a downtown Charlottesville that had less traffic and more biking and pedestrian opportunities. Imagine a downtown Charlottesville where politics and a focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion did not trump or supersede common sense. Jehu, your 800 words of commentary this morning at 8.30 this morning, 8.34 to be precise, really got me thinking, my friend. I'm grateful for the effort you put into this direct message. I'm going to now offer my commentary on Jehu Martin's content origination. Why is downtown Charlottesville struggling a bit right now, ladies and gentlemen? Very straightforward answer. Why is downtown Charlottesville struggling a little bit right now, ladies and gentlemen? Very straightforward. The answer? It needs more people. It needs more customers. It needs more foot traffic. You go to the downtown mall right now, it's 80 degrees and no humidity. There's barely any people on it. Literally, I just got a pizza from Vita Nova, a chicken parm slice. Vita Nova was empty, despite having some of the best pie in town. The downtown mall is dead empty right now. You talk to merchants on the downtown mall, and they say foot traffic is just not the same. 
Not the same since COVID. We have not returned to the foot traffic levels pre-pandemic. Ask any merchant downtown, they'll tell you that. Facts. Facts, people. So, at one time, Oliver Kuttner proposed density. Density targeted for millennials and Gen Zers, young professionals. This was maybe eight, ten years ago. The council, Kathy Galvin, she had a part of this. Kathy, you kiboshed this a little bit too. Kathy, I love you. You come on the program all the time, Kathy. Huge fan of you, Kathy. Huge fan of you, Kathy. But you let perfect be the enemy of productivity. Nakaya Walker, Nakaya, I don't like you so much. Kathy, I like. Nakaya, I don't like you so much. Um, Nakaya, you a number of times have let perfection be the enemy of productivity, and everyone in this community knows that. Okay? Um, Mike Signer, while you were instrumental in negotiating the um, parking agreement with Johnny Dewberry, the extorting emperor of empty lots, the developer from Atlanta, the former gunslinger of the Rambling Wreck, the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, a, a, a wee lad who grew up in Waynesboro, that Johnny Dewberry, while you were instrumental, former Mayor Mike Signer, at negotiating a parking agreement that ended up imploding, and it imploded because of current councilman Michael Payne. I understand why you did it, Michael, but you know you imploded that deal, and I say that with respect, and I know you're coming on the talk show on Friday. Um, Mike Signer had a lot of He's got a lot of culpability on his shoulders. How does in-house legal counsel for Willow Tree, while serving on counsel for Charlottesville City, allow one of the largest employers to go to Albemarle and Woolen Mills? Seems conflict of interest to me. You're the in-house legal counsel for Willow Tree while you're an elected official in Charlottesville City and your employer, Willow Tree, Tobias Dangle is paying you to negotiate a deal with Charlottesville government, which you are on to move one of its largest employers and the tax revenue associated with it out of the city into the county. I mean, madre, que pasa, chico? That seems very confusing and very conflict of interest to me. Does it not you? So here you got, oh, you got Kathy Galvin, friend of the program. You got Mike Signer. You got Kristen Zakos effing up Oliver Kuttner's micro-apartments on Water Street. Oliver Kuttner's micro-apartments on Water Street are a, were a hell of a lot better idea than that 323 building that's pretty empty right now on Water Street. It's an office building. Micro-apartments would be full. The 323 building is not even close to capacity. Uh, you got the late, great Gabe Silverman, who is the strategic partner of Alan Kajin. Alan Kajin listens to this show. Alan Kajin is one of the most powerful people you have never heard of. Alan Kajin is one of the largest commercial property owners in the city of Charlottesville. Alan Kajin owns the former Wild Wing Cafe building. Ooh, I just threw my knife. Now I got a fork. This is from Vita Nova. Their chicken parm pizza is banging. Alan Kajin owns the Wild Wing Cafe building, for example. He owns that massive parking lot next to Wild Wing Cafe. Alan Kajin owns the Rapture Restaurant building. Alan Kajin owns the Tonic Building. Alan and Ludwig Kutner own Ix Park. 
Alan owns a number of buildings on the downtown mall. Alan Kajin is the developer of the Shenanigans uh, little midtown shopping quarter. That midtown shopping quarter has what? Shenanigans, the One Bridal Salon, a financial firm right there. Alan Kajin, the guy behind public, the public building. Before it was Public Fish and Oyster, Daniel Kaufman owns it now. It used to be One Meatball Place. Our firm, VMV Brands, named One Meatball Place and brought that business to market um, for Richard and Meg Zakin. And Richard and Meg Zakin made their bank, Richard in particular, while working for Paul Manning at PBM, made so much money, he retired and said, why don't I open up a restaurant? Guess what? That's a tough way to make a living. He realized that very closely, closed it after a short period of time, and now it's public. Daniel Kaufman and public have legitimately one of the best um, restaurants in all of downtown Charlottesville, all of uh, Charlottesville in general. Daniel, I sincerely mean this. In fact, he knows this. Daniel Kaufman sincerely knows I love public. I love his happy hour. I love his lobster rolls. I love the old-fashioned that's made. Um, I'm forgetting the guy who's the bartender's. He was formerly a partner at the skate shop on the downtown mall, and he was a one-time manager at Zocalo. Now the bartender at public and makes a bangin', a bangin', bangin', um, old-fashioned. Um, so where I'm getting at is Kajin is the man. From a holding standpoint, he does frustrate some of his tenants because he's an attorney by trade. Alan's going to listen to this. Um, everything I'm saying, Alan, is accurate. He is a bi-coastal esquire based in San Francisco, uh, spends time here in Charlottesville. And when Alan Kajin gives you a lease, the lease is legitimate, legitimately the thickness of the Old Testament. Okay, some landlords give you a lease that is the thickness of the book of Genesis. Alan Kajin's lease is the thickness of the Old Testament hell and even half the New Testament. That's how I's dotted, T's crossed. And if you know that when doing business with Alan, just realize you got to pay your rent on time and you don't want to piss him off. The Dunkles at Tin Whistle Irish Pub pissed off Alan Kajin. Alan Kajin told Jackie Dunkel, and, and my firm launched Tin Whistle Irish Pub. Judah, can we put you on a two-shot? Got Judah Wickhauer. Were you on there? You got your mic there? Yeah. You remember when we created the name for Tin Whistle Irish Pub? I do. Do you remember when we created the logo for Irish, Tin Whistle Irish Pub? Yeah. And when we created the name and built their website mm -hmm. and launched the brand? We were so excited. We were initially going to call it the effing pub, right? Instead, the silent par partner of Jackie Dunkel said, nah, it's not going to be the effing pub. I'm the money guy. Find a different name. Then they chose Tin Whistle. Yeah. Alan kiboshed Tin Whistle on water because Jackie would not adhere to Alan's rules about live music. Alan said, you can't play live music after a certain time. Jackie, the tenant, said, no way, Jose. I'm going to do it. Alan said, I have other tenants in this corridor behind you, and you're distracting and disturbing them. I'll give you a couple more chances. Still, it was ignored, and Alan said, that's it, you guys are out. And now Tonic is there. The man has the leverage. Don't cross this dude. Okay, if there's something you take from this show is don't cross the dude. Okay, so you got a downtown Charlottesville that could have had a couple hundred micro apartments for millennials, just off Water Street, where the 323 building is, right across from Friendship Court and Garrett Square. Uh-oh, they have a new name. It's not Friendship Court. Uh-oh, it's not Garrett Square. What, what's the new brand for Friendship Court and Garrett Square? Uh, I can't keep up. I, have to look I it just up. can't keep up with all these rebranding efforts 
to try to change the denotations and connotations of neighborhoods. I just can't keep up. You let me know what the new brand is for Garrett's, um, Friendship, whatever it's called. Okay. Um, so this 323 building is an empty office building. It could have been micro apartments for millennials, Gen Zers to walk around downtown mall, which would have created foot traffic. Keith Woodard walked away from over a million dollars in underground infrastructure on Water Street because he legitimately got pissed off with Nakia Walker and said, you are more focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion than you are driving incremental revenue through positive development in your jurisdiction. Peace, I'm out. Woodard did that. Millions underground infrastructure so long, the opportunity cost is way greater dealing with her than walking away from 1.2 underground. That's literally the scales of justice that Keith weighed. And guess what? Keith Woodard listens to this show too. I love when you send me uh, your comments and your thoughts, Mr. Woodard. So you had a couple hundred micro apartments where the 323 building is. You had on Water Street a dope farmer's market, a world-class farmer's market design that was going to have mixed-use retail around it. It was going to be commercial and residential with the farmer's market being the, uh, the linchpin of it all. Dude, if you're like in your 20s, who wouldn't want to live next to a farmer's market? Go downstairs, give me a little ground beef, give me a little fresh meat, go downstairs, give me a little fresh produce, give me a little, uh, what's that stuff people drink? Kabacha? Hubacha? Simbacha? Oh, uh, Kumbacha? Lumbacha? Sounds right. Kumbacha? What the hell is it called? Kumbacha? Does it clears you out, flushes you out? What's that word? Cam- kombucha. Kombucha. I just drink IPAs, right? Kombucha. Get some fresh kombucha. Fresh produce. Dude, everyone would have, they would have fought tooth and nail to live in Keith's mixed-use, commercial, residential, farmer's market epicenter. Nakaya said, nah, dog. Diversity, equity, inclusion, dog. Not that, dog. Keith said, peace, I'm out. Now we got a farmer's market that's on an asphalt blacktop in the middle of summer when it's 100 degrees and extremely humid. That makes sense, right? Let's put an organic farmer's market where it's all about quality of life and experience on an asphalt blacktop parking lot with no shade in the middle of Charlottesville, Virginia during the dog days of summer when it gets over 100 degrees and the humidity is stifling. Are we not surprised that Ix Park has become the farmer's market epicenter? They have shade. They have grass. They have bathrooms. They have protection from the sun. Now in Charlottesville, we have two competing farmer's markets on the exact same day, because that makes sense. So Nakaya kills Woodard's project. Kathy, Mike, and Zakos kill Oliver Kutner's micro-apartments off Water Street. You got Gabe Silverman asking everybody, let's do a rail car system, a cable car system from downtown to Monticello and back, and let's use it as a tourist attraction. That sounds like a pretty damn good idea to me, right? You got Michael Payne, who is coming on the show on Friday. Mike, Michael Payne, I'm not throwing shade at you, dog. Can't get upset at me here, man. Can't get upset at me for saying this. He and his campaign platform legitimately kiboshes the Dewberry Hotel and the parking agreement that Mike Signer negotiated. And he kiboshed this agreement because when Michael Payne was running for council in the first term, he said, 
Should we be really giving a carpetbagger out-of-market developer tax breaks and parking perks in the Water Street parking garage? He raised so much of a ruckus and rankled so many people in campaigning against Dewberry in this parking agreement that Johnny Dewberry legitimately said, and Lloyd Snook legitimately verified this in previous episodes of the I Love Seville show. You can find Lloyd on my program talking about how this deal got kiboshed in video format. I cut it into a sizzle reel. It's on the internet right now. Payne campaigned against an out-of-market developer getting tax breaks and parking perks, kiboshed the deal, rankled so many people that council members at the time backed out of it in the bottom of the ninth inning, and Johnny Dewberry, the extorting emperor of empty lots, the former quarterback of the rambling wreck in Georgia Tech, a guy who grew up in Waynesboro, said, F you to Charlottesville. I'm just going to pay the real estate taxes. There's not a chance in hell you can eminent domain my property, and we're going to leave an ugly, hideous skeleton overlooking your downtown mall and there's nothing you can do about it and I don't care if the entire community hates me because I live in Atlanta and I don't even hear about the community hating me except when a loud mouth behind a microphone calls me the extorting emperor of empty lots. I know you don't like that phrase, John. But that's what you are. That's what you are. So, in Jehu Martin's Charlottesville, the downtown that could have been, you had 200 micro apartments, maybe 300. You had a cable car system that connected downtown with Monticello. You had Keith Woodard's dope farmer's market epicenter with mixed use surrounding the farmer's market and nice penthouses or condos and retail and apartments by it. You had... uh, You had foot traffic. You had a hotel that would have had world-class prestige. Literally a boutique hotel that would have had world-class prestige that the city of Charlottesville could have utilized in its marketing efforts. You know one of the things that the Charlottesville Almoral Convention and Visitors Bureau is doing right now from a marketing standpoint? It is utilizing the ADA friendly nature. Can you tell me what ADA stands for? ADA usually stands for American Doctors Association. No. Or Dentist Association. No, it's something with wheelchairs. Okay. The CACVB legitimately is doing an advertising and marketing campaign. And I have no problem with this. I just want to highlight this for you. That is targeting um, potential tourists that are in wheelchairs and explaining how accommodating Charlottesville City is for folks that are in, uh, that are folks that are in wheelchairs. American Disabilities Association, Woody Fincham, thank you. I swear to God, the CACVB right now has got an advertising campaign that it's launching or it has already launched. And the campaign is targeting potential tourists in wheelchairs and why this city is a perfect spot for them to spend their incremental revenue, their hard-earned revenue, and come visit. I got no problem with that campaign. I think it's an awesome bona fide campaign. I do want to highlight one thing, and maybe the CACVB has not thought about this. Maybe, you know, folks should say something to them. Are you, are you ready, Judah? Where is Charlottesville located? 
I'm not sure what you're asking. Can, can go to a two-shot. Viewers and listeners, yeah. where is Charlottesville located? Uh, my hand's up. Can you pick me? Go ahead. The mountains. The mountains. Would you say it's fairly hilly around here? Yeah. It's in the Blue Ridge Mountains, right? Kind of, yeah. Charlottesville's in the Blue Ridge Mountains. We're doing an advertising campaign focused on folks in wheelchairs, which is a great campaign. I've seen the creative. But we've not considered the fact that anyone from outside of Central Virginia that's never been here is going to have to get over the massive mental hurdle. If you pull out a map, you see it's in the Blue Ridge Mountains. That's going to be an advertising challenge to educate a marketplace with limited budget that a city in the mountains is going to be a place for you to come visit and vacation when you're in a wheelchair. But hey, the CACVB is run by councilmen and women and Almoral County Board of Supervisors that have very little advertising and marketing experience. We've got to trust these elected officials with where they think the direction of our brand's going to go. Okay. Okay. So that's the city that could have been. That's the city that could have been. Micro-apartments, cable cars, dope farmer's market, mixed-use development on Water Street. We had a Belmont Bridge project that was proposed 25 or 30 years ago. Jehu talks about this as well. He says, initially, when the Belmont Bridge project... Listen to this, guys. Belmont Bridge, at one time, the design that was submitted for the Belmont Bridge by the School of Architecture at the University of Virginia, it was a 50-page booklet. Similar designs were provided by engineering and consulting firms from Richmond and Charlottesville. The city, however, ignored the UVA School of Architecture, and the city ignored the engineering and consulting firms in Richmond and Charlottesville. Instead, they gave us a low-capacity, ugly, industrial, dumpy bridge as you see being built today. Now, instead of seeing the ugly, dumpy, industrial bridge that we see currently right now, consider what could have been should had the city and councilors had listened to the School of Architecture as opposed to getting their own way. The bridge that was proposed to them was three levels, three-lane bridge, three levels, trains on the bottom, three lanes for automobiles on the second level, where one turns right and dumps traffic down Garrett Street. The middle one goes another block down Avon, and the one on the left provides an exit for those going locally, no congestion at all. It spread the traffic out beautifully. The third level, a beautiful skyway for pedestrians and cyclists and baby carriages. No cars on the third level, just pedestrians and bikers and moms with babies and strollers. A beautiful bridge that you would just want to come and see because the bridge was state of the art. My wife and I, we live in Keswick. We love coming to downtown Charlottesville on the weekends with our boys. Our youngest is six months old. He's in a stroller. These strollers are so expensive. And I've made this comment in the past. Have you ever tried lifting one of those baby carriages out of the car 
with your kid in it. That thing is damn near close to 70 pounds. I'm doing whatever I humanly can possible to lift this damn baby carriage basket holder of my son out of our Explorer, which is elevated. I'm not the tallest guy. I gotta get on my tippy toes. Can you adjust the camera here? Maybe you're using the studio camera. I'm like on my tippy toes. I'm trying to get this stroller out. It's so heavy. It's at this awkward spot. I'm like doing my back like sideways like this. It's breaking my lower back. And then I have to put him somehow into the stroller here as he's wiggling. And I have to do all this with cars in traffic going by and looking at least somewhat macho for my wife and whoever else is watching. When we come to downtown Charlottesville, from time to time, we'll walk from downtown to, say, Mockingbird, Melissa Closehart and, and Adam Frazier's restaurant in Belmont. We did this on Mother's Day. We parked in front of I Love Seville on Market Street because my oldest son, who's five, has to pee every 15 minutes. So he legitimately, from our house in Keswick to Market Street, said he had to pee. So we had to come into the office to use the restroom because he has the bladder the size of a pear. After he pees, we're like, all right, it makes no sense for us to take our car from our Explorer from Market Street and drive to Mockingbird. We're early for the resi. Why don't we uh, just walk there? We walk there. Have you tried walking with a kid in a stroller and a five-year-old on the Belmont Bridge? You're playing Frogger. You think George Costanza had a hard time playing Frogger in Seinfeld? Try taking a kid, two kids, one in a stroller, one five, and your wife, and go on the Belmont Bridge right now. You're asking for a licking. And, and, and humans, they ain't like a Timex. They don't take a licking and keep on ticking. They die. They die. They die. So Jehu's downtown, what could have been? Woo-wee! You'd have foot traffic everywhere. You had commerce at prolific proportions. You'd have tourists coming for prestigious boutique hotels, state-of-the-art bridge design and development, cable cars running from downtown to Monticello, You'd have young professionals, a hop, skip, and a jump from the epicenter of employment with Kootner's micro-apartments and Woodard's mixed-use farmer's market project. Instead, we got a farmer's market on an asphalt top during the dog days of summer, humidity and 100-degree heat. You got micro-apartments that ended up being an office building. That office building's not even close to capacity. The cable cars, eh, just take an Uber. You want to go from the downtown mall? To Monticello, eh, just take an Uber. It's not going to be cable cars. The bridge, the Belmont Bridge, have you seen it? Have you been on it? You think it's going to work? And all of these projects had a couple of things in common. You know what those elements are? I'll give you a moment to think about it. What did it have in common? They had government dysfunction in common. They had a priority of diversity, equity, and inclusion as opposed to a priority of new business development and incremental tax revenue. All of these projects had politicians that pursued all perfection, pursued perfection as opposed to 
performance or productivity. If these politicians were the CEO or the owner of my small business and pursued perfection instead of performance and productivity, they would legitimately be out of business and bankrupt. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is your 48-minute lesson on Jehu Martin's take on a city and a downtown that could have been. And I encourage you, friends of this fine and fair talk show, to tell folks about it and say, listen to what we could have had. Listen to what we could have had. Listen to what we could have had. All right. Before I get to John Blair's take on Stanton, I think I should read some of the comments that are coming in very quickly on this talk show. Daniel Kaufman. Hey, buddy. Love your restaurant. Uh, he says, Alan Kajin has always been fair to me as a landlord. He's a straight shooter and by the book, but always fair. Exactly. You don't piss off or cross Alan Kajin because he's an attorney that's going to fucking use everything he has by the letter of the law to drop a hammer on you if you piss him off. But if you pay your rent on time and do what the lease says, he's a great landlord. He's a great landlord. He'll give you build-out stipends. He helps some of his tenants from uh, 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 rent abatement during the pandemic. Just do what the lease says. Kaufman's an example of this. Kelly Jackson watching the program. She says the thing that concerns her most about downtown right now is crime, and she will not let her daughter downtown with adult anymore. She also says because there is less people in downtown Charlottesville right now, the crime is higher. And I completely agree with what she said. Woody Fincham says that campaign targeting folks in wheelchairs to come to the Blue Ridge Mountains, they're doing that because it makes them feel good. Is that DEI again? If you have a limited budget and the CACVB does, how are you going to overcome the stigma of Charlottesville in the mountains when you're targeting folks in wheelchairs? CACVB, you keep up the good work. Maria Marshall Barnes, I would love to know all the money wasted in the Belmont Bridge from a planning standpoint. It was talked about for over a decade. How long has the Belmont Bridge been talked about? It's much longer than over a decade. I think the Belmont Bridge, Jehu, are you still, you still watching Jehu? How long have we been talking about the Belmont Bridge? I think we've been talking about the Belmont Bridge for 20, I've been here 23 years and we've been talking about the Belmont Bridge for, 20, for as long as I know. Vanessa Parkhill says, I'm aware of your ability to multitask. She also says, I hope the bridge replacement for I-95 in Philly moves quicker than the Belmont Bridge Project. Me too, Queen of Earliesville. VP, I love when you uh, watch the program. Uh, Philip Dallin, Scottsville. He's the king of Scottsville. Seville Council has, mental, has the mentality of a grade schooler. Many, many problems on that council. Um, and he says it's the Americans, Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA. Um, 
I, I offer this monologue to offer a glimpse of what could have happened if it wasn't for governmental dysfunction. And I offer this monologue as a glimpse of how important local elections are. And on June 20th, you're electing three councilors to Charlottesville City Council. There's five people running. Five people running, three of them you're electing. Um, all right, let's go to SOL scores and outer county performance. I want to touch on this briefly. I didn't get to finish my thought yesterday because I have a phone call at 1.45 each day with the VIP client. Um, if you could, my friend, um, Judah Wickhauer, put the SOL graph on screen. It's on screen now? Excellent. Everyone look at the screen. If you could break down what you're seeing right there in a nutshell there, J-Dubs. For the viewers and listeners, with some commentary with the graph. Well, from what I can see, it looks like uh, for quite a few years, most of the schools seem to be uh, moving pretty closely in tandem with each other until, uh, until the, the pandemic hit, at which point they all suffered uh, severe, uh, severe problems. Uh, SOL scores dropped uh, pretty pretty sharply for most of the schools. And uh, in between 2020 and 2022, uh, most of the schools seem to have turned that, uh, turned that trend around with the exception of Albemarle County public schools, which have continued to decline into, uh, into I, I guess, as, as, much of the, uh, as much reporting as we have. Um, we'll obviously have to wait until the end of this... Uh, well, we'll have to wait until there, there's more information on the, um, the last school year. Okay. Now we go back to a two-shot with us. I said on yesterday's talk show that Albemarle County is becoming so effing expensive that a middle-class or even an upper-middle-class family can no longer afford to live here from a housing standpoint. Yeah. And I said on yesterday's talk show, those middle-class families and those upper-middle-class families, legitimately, if you're making a household $108,000, Judah, $110,000, if a household is a $110,000 household, they are below area median income. Right. I want you to think about that. A household that is making $110K is below area median income in Almar County. Think about that. So these middle class and upper class, these middle class and upper middle class households are like, dude, mommy and daddy are both working. Mommy and daddy have jobs that are paying them 55K each or a variation thereof. Mommy and daddy can barely afford a house in Almaro. Despite $110,000 in take-home pay, mommy and daddy got Susie to feed and Johnny to feed and little Louise in the oven. We need to get the hell out of Almaro, middle class, upper middle class, and let's, let's mosey on down to Lake Monticello. Let's mosey on down to the gated community of Lake Monticello. Let's mosey on down to Gordonsville. It's a charming little town. We can walk places like Craig Hartman's Ice House. Let's mosey on down to Gordonsville. How about Spring Creek and Zion's Crossroads, another gated community? Let's head over to Louisa. Let's go over to Louisa. 
So these middle class and upper middle class families that are, it's crazy to say a $110,000 household is getting gentrified. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. A $110,000 household is getting gentrified. They're moseying on down to Spring Creek, Louisa. They're moseying on down to Lake Monticello, uh, Fluvanna. They're moseying on down to Gordonsville, Orange. And they're taking their two incomes, even more importantly, they're taking their two parent households that are committed to their children's education with them. And that commitment to their child's education is bolstering the outer counties. Because when two parents are riding their kids, I bet you their grade performance, on average, may be better than a one-income household where mom and dad is grinding 24-7 just to keep the lights on. Right? So that was my take yesterday. Almoral County's SOL scores are not rebounding at the clip that some of the outer county schools are. Make sure you get these lower thirds on screen if you can too. The response from yesterday's show was significant. Of course it's significant. We're talking about our children. We're talking about our kids. Dude, my entire life changed when we had kids. It completely changed. Okay? Before our oldest son was born, I had the uh, emotional intelligence and the willingness to show emotion of... Hmm. I don't want to say Joseph Stalin, because that wouldn't be a good look. I was going to say a rock, but a rock is just such an easy call. What is an object or a brand or a person that has very little emotional intelligence and willingness to show emotion of any kind. Hmm. I'd have to think about that. Okay. Let's just say I was a rock. Our oldest son is born, and I find myself crying at Toy Story 2, or whatever the Toy Story was where the toys were sent to the daycare. Why were those so why were those daycare kids so mean with the toys? Why did those daycare kids rip the arms off the toys? Why did the daycare kids hurt the toys? It was sad. The daycare children didn't care about the toys. They crushed them and they hurt them. And the toys were personified in Toy Story 3 and I cried. I'm sitting at my bed at our old house in Redfields, bawling to Toy Story, whatever number that was. Was that three, the daycare one? Was that three? Uh, I think so. I'm bawling. And I look at my wife and I say, what the hell is happening to me? I'm bawling. And lo and behold, it's called becoming a dad. How many fathers out there can relate? After you have a kid and you watch a nine-pound bowling ball come out of your wife's vagina and you're in the hospital and you see her labor for a day and a half from bat, uh, butt and back pain and three epidurals, two of them that literally failed, one literally in front of the doctor's face, like it splashed on the doctor's face and the, guy, the doctor was more concerned about the epidural splashing on the face than the fact that he's stabbing my wife in the spine while she's pregnant. And for some reason, we still had to pay for that epidural, despite him effing that epidural up. Donna Price. Hey, Donna. Good to see you. We had Supervisor Price just walk by. Um, you saw Donna? Yeah. She's great. Mm -hmm. Love Donna Price. Um, 
I became, I became kind of a softy. And you guys see it from time to time. Remember last week when I was talking about mom, talking about my wife and all the moms out there? And I got emotional on the show because my wife carries a heavier burden than I do. I get to go to work. Now, granted, I'm clocking 60, 70 hours a week, but I get to go to work and do a job that I legitimately invented for my God-given skill set and ability. 15 years of being self-employed, I'm legitimately doing the work that I love doing that I'm passionate about. I get paid well for it, and oftentimes I don't feel like I work a day in my life. I'm sure Judah Wickhauer feels the exact same way as that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Judah's being very kind. He's being very kind. My wife is home with two maniacs. One of them, a six-month-old, almost seven months, that has not slept through the night once. He legitimately has not slept through the night in six and a half months, Judah. Not from when we put him down to when we wake up and we got a full night's sleep. And the oldest, 1,000 miles an hour from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. at night. Dude does not need a break. Dude does not need a break, does not need a nap, goes balls to the wall 6 a.m., 9 or 10 p.m., I swear, like balls to the wall 1,000 miles an hour. The other day, this dude did swimming lessons for 45 minutes in the morning, took, ate a Nutrigame, uh, ate a fig bar, went to squash lessons for 45 minutes, ate a hot dog, went to a baseball game where he is running around like a maniac, ate two other hot dogs, two fig bars, a pack of gummy snacks, Welch's, not Mott's. God, don't give him Mott's, only Welch's. Three juice box and half my hamburger. Then he went to a kid's birthday party at Belmont Park, ran around for two more hours. After the kid's birthday party, he ate four slices of pizza. He's five years old. We get home after he's had swimming lessons, squash lesson, a baseball game, and a kid's birthday party for two hours, and we get home, and he busts out a soccer ball, a mini soccer ball, and a tennis racket, and he legitimately wants to go in the front yard for another hour and hit a mini soccer ball around that's like this one with a big tennis racket with me in the front yard. And then we tell him it's time for bed, and he wanted to do WrestleMania on his bed. That is every day, Judah. That is every day. Every day with this kid. Why I got emotional is I'm able to do this because she's willing to stay home and do that. I don't think I could stay home and do that. I love my family, but on Mondays, I look forward to going to work a lot of times. Is there something wrong with that? I don't think so. The response was overwhelming about my take on SOL scores yesterday. This is something that I did not highlight that came from a number of mothers and a number of people that watched this fine and fair talk show. Ginny Hu on Twitter said, you can also look at the homeschool numbers. There are more families in Albaro keeping homeschooling than the other counties, partly because those schools open more quickly in 2022. As an aside, ACPS does not keep records of who leaves for private school. 
So Ginny Hu makes the call that during the pandemic, Fluvanna, Louisa, Orange, the outer counties were much quicker to open, where Albemarle County Public Schools got stuck in its own way, i.e. politics. She's right. Opening schools early got people to move from Albemarle to the outer counties like Green, Orange, Louisa, Madison. Why? Because little Johnny and little Susie should not be learning their ABCs in the one, two, threes in the coat closet or in the spare bathroom in the basement. They should, be losing, they should be learning their one, two, threes, and their ABCs in a classroom amongst their peers. And for a two-year stretch, educators thought that little Johnny and little Susie should learn their ABCs and their one, two, threes in the coat closet and in the spare bathroom in the basement instead of classroom amongst their peers. Now, with the benefit of hindsight, we realize that set our children back a level that we do not truly even understand today. I don't think we as a society truly even understand how far this generation of kids, the ones that graduated this year and younger, the ones that had to go through COVID, I don't think we truly understand how far behind these kids are. You take impressionable minds and brains that are not fully developed, and you take them away from classrooms and educational infrastructures for two years, that's going to have an impact. Right? Yeah. So Ginny highlights that. Linnell, Linnell, how do I say your last name? Here, Judah, maybe you can help me on this. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you, Judah. How do I say this last name right here? Mm, you're mean, the, you're best, the linguist. You're the... Best guess is Adeliano. Okay. Is that what you think? That's All right, so you say it. Adeliano. Is this the Judah camera? Hey, is this your camera? Hi. Okay. Okay. Linnell says, in the last two years, equity grading, disciplinary policies, bus driver shortage, and length of time spent remote learning, undoubtedly, versus, versus in-person learning, undoubtedly has had an impact on Almoral County SOL performance. Can't argue with that. Kids are showing up school within Almore County Public Schools, like the kids that are in Greenwood, the thriving suburb of Crozet, Greenwood. They're showing up, or the kids that are in Afton, as far away as possible in Almore County. Afton Mountain, those kids on the Almore side, they're showing up to school 90 minutes late. They're missing a period and a half of school, and they're showing up home 90 minutes late so they can't do their homework. I'm pretty sure that's going to have an impact on SOL scores, right? No doubt. Other people are talking about this. Jerry, Albemarle County Public Schools, of all the school systems locally, is the most focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion grading and not actual tangible results. There's that DEI piece again. There's that DEI piece again. Deep Throat says, because ACPS changes are likely blaring alarm bells to academically ambitious parents. So there are more ACPS families, the best families, going private, going homeschool, or moving out of the county because they have the resources. He says, assume you don't lose any kids at the bottom of the spectrum. 
only kids at the top of the spectrum to private schools or homeschooling because they have the financial resources. Deep Throat says, so if you lose 5% of your kids and they're all the top proficient performers, that knocks percentage points off your SOL pass rate. Think about that. That's a damn good comment, dude. It's a damn good comment. Kindlewood, he also says, is what they're going to call Garrett Square and Friendship Court. Yeah, I believe they've already changed the name. Kindlewood. And he says, doesn't that, brown, doesn't that brand sound like a place that's going to catch on fire? Kindlewood. All those comments from moms and dads watching the show are happening, are literally, Judah, all these things are happening at the exact perfect storm of cost of living gentrification. Hmm. Bus driver shortage. Yeah. Teacher shortage. DEI curriculum. Almora late to open. Outer counties first to open. Ridiculous wealth in Almoro able to afford privates and homeschooling, all colliding at the same time of massive affordability gentrification. Hmm. And as a result, you have what you have today. Put that graph back on screen. Please, sir. Thank you kindly. There you go. Here's what we just did. You and I, us as a community, through this water cooler that's been branded the I Love Seville Network, we just came to a very legitimate conclusion on why SOL performance is not rebounding quickly within ACPS. I had ideas, and you complemented my ideas with ones of your own. Ideas that percolated on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Spotify, on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, on Facebook, direct message, text message, phone call, and in-person discussion. And all we have done is aggregated these fantastic concepts through this digital infrastructure, which was birthed six years ago with a $35,000 budget. All right. Anybody want to offer any comments on that? Happy to relay them live on air. Yes, many comments are coming in. Many, 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 many comments. Um, all right. Maria Marshall Barnes says, three kids in, I have three kids in Almoral County Public Schools, and I have never, ever, ever been more disappointed with education. It was way better 10 years ago, and it's sad. That's from a mother of three. Vanessa Parkhill is a mom. You have two, right, Vanessa? You have Lee and you have a beautiful daughter. I've never had the chance of meeting your beautiful daughter, but I do know your son, Lee, and he is a U.S. senator in the making. Probably, or possibly, she says, the most frustrating thing about what could have been is that forsaking those projects in the name of DEI has not only robbed us of those wonderful things, but those policies do not seem to have resulted in better lives for low-income residents of the city either. Same with schools. Typical of socialist-leaning policies. 
Often fewer are lifted up and more are burdened and dragged down, making everyone more equal, just that they're more equally miserable. And that's Parco. Why'd, why'd you smirk on that one, Judah? I've, I've heard that before. It's, uh, it's a good soundbite. Yeah. Applicable, you think? Oftentimes. Oftentimes. All right, next topic. This is from John Blair. This is on, wow, we are an hour. I, I want you to find a broadcaster that can go an hour and 12 minutes straight of talking without taking a commercial break. Is there one in this 300,000 person market that goes an hour? Oh, there's the loud clapping man. There's a loud clapping man. You see him? Yep. That's the loud clapping man that posts up by Barracks Road and claps and walks up and down the downtown mall, clapping loudly and saying crazy, crazy things. You know who I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. I don't miss passing him every day. Loud clapping man bothered you? I used to pass him every day. Was... Always wearing a tank top and a Rasta hat, jacked biceps, screaming and clapping at the top of his lungs. I've always meant to ask him, doesn't that strain your vocal cords, Mr. Loud Clapping Man? But you know what? I don't ask him that. Get enough exercise. You know why I don't ask Mr. Loud Clapping Man if he strains his vocal cords by loudly screaming and clapping all day? Because you don't care about the answer. <laughs> Is that what we call uh, technically correct? <laughs> I plead the fifth. You know me well, don't you? I mean, you asked me to guess, right? You know me well, don't you? I, well, what was your answer going to be? That was know. the answer. Oh, was it? Okay. That or terrified, loud, clapping man would give me a right hook. Yeah. Um, <laughs> John Blair's take on Stanton. This is a great post. This is from LinkedIn. He sent it to me yesterday. Let me call it up. I'm going to read it verbatim. John Blair, John Blair, John Blair. All right. Um, this is what he says. This is how it started. It started on LinkedIn. Jerry, it's worth noting, on January 6, 2023, Tesla traded at $101.81, a share, Judah. On June 13th, yesterday, Tesla traded at $258.63 a share, J-Dubs. That is a return on your money in five months of 155%. John owns Tesla. I own Tesla. Tesla's like a rocket ship. I make this comment on about Elon Musk all the time. Everyone's like, ah, oh, Elon Musk, Elon Musk, he has babies with people everywhere. Uh, Elon Musk, he was born on third base and thought he hit a triple. Oh, Elon Musk, his politics this and his politics that. And Elon Musk, he's not as good as a businessman as you think. Twitter's value is dropped. He overpaid $40 billion. It's now worth $10 million. Dude, Elon Musk, you know what he's doing with Twitter? He is scraping your data, storing your data, and scrutinizing your data. If you think Elon Musk is caring, don't get me wrong, Elon Musk cares about driving revenue with Twitter, 
Okay, he cares about keeping this business profitable. But one of the value propositions for Elon Musk in Twitter is the data play. It's the data play. This dude is scraping, storing, and scrutinizing data. Also, Tesla spends zero dollars on marketing. You know how Tesla gains awareness and brand equity? Elon Musk using Twitter. All this is a vertically integrated macro play that few in the world truly understand what he's doing. He is that nuanced and sophisticated when it comes to being 15 steps ahead of all of us. So I respond to John Blair. That's a great position, Tesla. I'm glad we both own that one. But you want to know something crazy, John? We're in a bull market right now, but it does not necessarily feel like a bull market on Main Street in Charlottesville and Central Virginia. He responds by saying, Jerry, I agree with you. There's an economic malaise right now in this region. That's a great word, isn't it? Yeah. How would you characterize malaise? A cloud? Mm. A mood? A dynamic or mentality? Something holding us back? Like a wet blanket or quicksand? Yeah, kind of. Is that a fair characterization? Malaise. I tend to think of it as kind of like uh, <clears throat> just a, like a lack of energy. You okay. Know? Kind of like... Uh, the proverbial... Walking in quicksand, the economy right now in central Virginia. Yeah. He says, I think the key for future of Charlottesville is to do what we've done in Stanton. The city needs to roll the dice and buy a large piece of property for redevelopment purposes. Make sure we're using the right lower thirds, those J-dubs. The city needs to roll the dice and buy a large piece of property for redevelopment purposes. Stanton almost completely developed the Green Hills Business Park, and now we're just about to begin seriously marketing Stanton Crossing, the old Western State Hospital. I suspect we will have a major announcement within 18 months. <laughs> this is my favorite part. John goes, <laughs> I suspect we will have a major announcement within the next 18 months about Stanton crossing the old western state. John's the city attorney of Stanton and the acting deputy city manager of Stanton. Mm -hmm. So when John says, I suspect we will have a major announcement within the 18-month period, what... He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> right? Right? Okay. Yeah. And we both know the guy. Would he put something on there if it wasn't going to... Right? Right. He, he furthers. Charlottesville City should do this. Charlottesville City needs to have the land available for when the Biotech Institute at UVA has researchers who hit pay dirt and the city has a large park to open up, two or three larger companies with 100-plus employees. That will refresh the economic outlook for the city. Do you believe anyone at Seville City Hall has the vision to allocate the city's scarce resources towards an economic development push like this? Reduce allocations to other functions to make a bet on economic development. It's got to be done to renew the, to renew the region's prosperity. Seville is the richest, richest per capita city in, 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 in the Commonwealth outside of Northern Virginia. It should have the resources to implement this type of strategy. I asked him, can I relay this live on air and on other platforms? He says, absolutely, with one condition, that you also mention William Vaughn and Amanda Demio, who are Stan's economic development team. They are absolute pros, the best in the business, and they're going to land the Stanton crossing plane. I'm going to send Amanda Demio 
a LinkedIn request. Amanda, I just shot you one. I'm going to send William Vaughn a LinkedIn request. He's the Director of Economic Development at the City of Stanton. William, I just tried to connect with you. Looking forward to connecting with you. Amanda, I just sent you a LinkedIn request. You're an Economic Development Specialist in the City of Stanton. Amanda and William, come on the show. Let's champion Stanton and let's utilize our massive reach of viewers and listeners to drive people to your jurisdiction to spend their hard-earned dollars, and then they will leave and not tax the rest of your resources. Legitimately win-win for you. The University of Virginia has the Paul Manning Biotech Institute about to come online. Paul Manning Biotech Institute UVA. Google that. Paul Manning Biotech Institute UVA. I just did that. Hey, there's a lot of stuff to read here. Imagine that. All right, I'm going to click the second link down from news.virginia.edu. Clicked it. Guess what? Paul Manning, the guy behind Dairy Market. Paul Manning, the guy behind uh, PBM Capital. Paul Manning, the guy behind that baby formula, healthcare-focused investment firm. He's given $100 million. $100 million to the University of Virginia. That $100 million is going to be the groundwork for the Paul Manning Biotech Institute. The Paul Manning Biotech Institute, the University of Virginia legitimately has said, will drive at bare minimum two to 3,000 additional people to the Charlottesville, Albemarle area. And these two to 3,000 additional people that are coming to the Charlottesville, Albemarle area will easily, easily, these two to 3,000 people be making six figures plus each one of them, Judah. Okay. Then the University of Virginia said it expects an economic ecosystem to be birthed or associated with the Paul Manning Biotech Institute. It's like when a hospital is built. Who was telling me this story? Um, a client who I will not utilize his name. He was comparing Louisville and Nashville to me yesterday while we were sitting at the mud house on the downtown mall. I'm helping this particular client find commercial real estate. And if you're a landlord um, in the Charlottesville Urban Ring, I need 10 to 15,000 square feet and 30 to 40 foot ceilings. Just call it 12,000 to 15,000 square feet and 30 to 40 foot ceilings. Well capitalized client. If you have that, reach out to me. We can make a deal. He's telling me about Nashville and Louisville. There's a hospital in Nashville. I forget the name of the, ha the hospital in Nashville. That's where I went for my bachelor party. It was awesome. Nashville was awesome. Is, is, is Dirty Curdy watching the program right now? You watching the program, dog? Where are you at? Let me see if you're active. Hey, you're active, Dirty. What's up, Curtis Shaver? Wasn't it awesome, dude? That was a great time, was it not? Such a good time. So my guy, my client, who I'm eager to help, if you've got 10 to 15,000 square feet, 30 to 40 foot ceilings, please reach out to me. Urban Ring. He says, Jer, there's a hospital that's in Nashville right now, and they thought about going to Louisville. But Nashville rolled out the red carpet, 
and Louisville did not. Nashville got the hospital, and a boatload of businesses immediately just sprung up next to the hospital because of the economic ecosystem spurred by the hospital system. Louisville, they didn't see the big picture, and now it continues to be this sleepy little town that is begging for economic development. You may know it for the Derby, the Kentucky Derby, but outside of that, it's a fairly sleepy town. Nashville, on the other side, on the other hand, is booming. Booming with economic activity. It's like, damn. And that immediately, that immediately made me think about the Paul Manning Biotech Institute. You got a hundred and some million, hundred million just from Paul Manning. UVA is putting some money in itself. Uh, let's see. In addition to the generous gift from Paul and Diane Manning, the first phase of the institute will be funded by a substantial initial investment of $50 million from the Commonwealth of Virginia and $100 million from UVA for a total investment of $300 million. They're building a $300 million facility. Let's see. Where is the facility? I need to give you the exact spot. Is it Fontaine Research Park? I'm reading on the fly. I'm texting developers, bankers, hosts, asking Judah to put the lower third on screen, hosting this talk show while reading virginia.edu, all live on air. Um, I believe it's Fontaine. So we've got a $300 million project. Let's just say it's Fontaine. Don't hold me to it. I think that's where it is. That, those three bills are going to birth... So many businesses tied to it, the economic ecosystem, just like Nashville and the hospital system. So UVA is straight up telling us, guys, 2,000 people, 3,000 people, all making a hundy or more with this $300 million ecosystem. We know that's coming. And then UVA also tells us you're going to have a boatload of private businesses that ride the coattails of this institute. Remember, the data science school is very close to opening on Ivy Road as well. And you're going to have the same ecosystem riding the coattails of the Joffrey Woodruff-funded data science school. Interestingly, uh, and Joffrey's a friend of the program, hell of a squash player, great guy. Love seeing him, love playing him, A-plus people. Those are your two top donators to UVA, Joffrey and Paul. One JW, two PM, in that order. You're going to have, in the next, I don't know, call it five years conservatively, a new ecosystem birthed around the data science school and a new ecosystem birthed around the biotech institute. And if you don't think that's going to gentrify these communities to levels you've never seen before, you're huffing the glue out of the Ziploc bag. And I really want to emphasize anyone that's watching this program, if you think housing values are going to drop anytime soon, you're huffing the glue out of the Ziploc bag. If you think you can wait... A couple years from now to get a better deal, you're huffing the glue out of the Ziploc bag. You legitimately are going to have, I don't know, let's call it conservatively, 5,000 people, biotech ecosystem, 5,000 people, data science school, all new to the area, all six figures plus easily. Get ready and giddy up. John Blair says city of Charlottesville should buy land and build a complex, a business park, and they should buy land and build a business park that grabs the businesses that wants to ride the coattails of data science and biotech. It's a brilliant idea. Does City Hall have that vision? Nah, dog. Nah. Nah. Does Almoral County have that vision? Maybe. 
Although they, do li they did lose Roger Johnson, the economic development director. They do have the fabulously talented Allison Rabel, rhymes like table, working within Almoral County. I love to fo follow Allison Rabel, rhymes like table, on Twitter. I check out her content every day. City of Charlottesville, you better buy some land and see if you can create a business park like Stanton has done. That'd be real nice if you did that. Green Hills Business Park in Stanton. Now they're taking the old western state and turning it into Stanton Crossing. The jurisdiction is doing the development itself. All right. Uh, I want to highlight private pickleball epicenter. I'm trying, I'm part of a group that is looking to build uh, chicken and pickle in the Charlottesville area. Five, we're looking uh, five outdoor courts, five indoor courts, and a sports bar with a bank of TVs, an elevated sports bar with elevated food, 10 to 12 menu items, 8 to 12 taps, 30 to 50 TVs, five indoor pickleball courts, five outdoor pickleball courts. Modeled after chicken and pickle, we're not reinventing the wheel. We're just trying to utilize our resources, financial and influence, to make this happen. If you want to be a part of this ride, it's going to be, a, I think, a very profitable one. Reach out to me. Um, all right, we got the video. Now, I'm going to play this video. This video was put together by uh, a youngster. Man, I hope, I hope High Voice is watching right now. It's, and Linnell is watching on, on, on Twitter. Linnell on Twitter says, Joffrey Woodruff had the vision himself. He's ready to seed fund and house the startups in code. No doubt, dude. That man is of tremendous vision. In fact, I'm going to give him some props. I'm going to quote, I'm going to retweet, quote Linnell's um, tweet and tag my friend in it, Joffrey, and say, I 110% agree with you. At Joffrey W. is a man of tremendous vision. Tremendous vision. And a bona fide asset. I always misspell asset. It's A-S-S-E-T. Yeah. And a bona fide asset for the Charlottesville and... Oh, I misspelled Charlottesville. Charlottesville and Central Virginia communities. We're lucky to have him. Send that tweet. Just did it. Um, and I sincerely mean that, dude. Dude builds code. Dude took an ice park that was a forgotten piece of crap and turn it into an epicenter of an entrepreneurship code. Can you, you know what of the downtown, you know the downtown mall, you want to, it would have really been in bad shape if Joffrey hadn't bought the ice park and Mark Brown straight up said it's not going to be an ice park anymore. There was a legitimate opportunity that that ice park would have had no ice in it and would have just been an empty building. So we would have had the Dewberry Hotel skeleton and the ice park skeleton because Mark Brown, the parking czar of Charlottesville, said he wasn't going to run the, park, the ice park anymore. 
Joffrey bought the ice park and built a badass building. He should get props. He funded the data science school, legitimately. Dude funded the data science school with his money. Anyone that gives that grief, that man grief with what he does with his money, I'm going to call out. I will call out personally. And I've seen parts of the community say, oh, he's doing this for squash. He's doing this for data science. Yeah, he busted his tail, created a company, failed before the company created, created another one, QIM, and it's a badass company. Dude can do whatever he wants with his money, right? Yeah. You agree or disagree with that? Yeah, it's his money. Exactly. Anyone throwing shade on somebody that's doing something with his own money, you know what that's called? Won't go down that road. He's an asset to the community. All right. Um, we're going to have some fun at the expense of the Charlottesville Planning Commission. This uh, video was put together by an elementary school student. <laughs> I think it's amazing. Um, I will share this Vimeo link um, all over social media. This video has audio also tied with it. But I cannot play audio that I do not own the rights to on this live broadcast because the platforms will take down my, um, my uh, broadcast. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the Vimeo link with the actual audio that includes great music tied, <laughs> uh, phenomenal video and with an audio soundtrack underneath it, and I'm just gonna play the visual component of it. I encourage you to watch the visual component of it, and then go to the comments section, the comments section of my personal Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Jerry Miller now, and watch the video with the audio. Judah, you ready for this? Just make sure it has no audio, okay? Yeah. Viewers and listeners, Thank you kindly for joining us on the I Love Seville show. I have now gone 93 minutes straight of talking without taking a break, without playing a commercial, or going to the bathroom. There's not a single broadcaster in a 300,000-person market we call Central Virginia that does 94 minutes straight of broadcasting without taking a break. This, a little poking of fun at Rory Solzenberg, Lyle Sola Yates and the Charlottesville Planning Commission. Please make sure it has no audio. Let's cue up that video in three, two, one. So long.